Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. A reading from the 35th chapter of the book of Genesis, verses 1 through 15, which will be found in page 18 of your pew Bible. Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there, and build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, Get rid of your foreign gods that you have with you, and purify yourselves change your clothes. Then come and let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me on the day of my distress and has been with me for wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all their foreign gods and that they had in the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak of Shechem. And then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Lot's, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There they built an altar. He called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak outside Bethel, so it was named Alan Bekoth. After Jacob returned from Padab Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob, for your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and the kings will be among your descendants. The land that I gave to Abraham and to Isaac, I also give to you, and I will give you this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at that place where he had talked with him. Jacob set a stone pillar there, the place where God had talked with him, and poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked to him Bethel. I want to apologize if we disturbed your reflection just before worship because we were laughing in the hall. John Aldrich came down from having spoken to the online audience upstairs and he said, I think I accidentally said how grateful we are to be at the last of this series about Jacob. (laughs) He said, I'm going to have to go back and look and just about... That's what we got so tickled about outside before coming in. I don't know how you feel about that, but but I'm not that excited to be through with it because I have loved uh, preaching this story uh, from our Old Testament scriptures. In the 4th and 5th century, there was a debate between two theological heavyweights that continues to color how you and I see each other. 
Now, we think about theological debates being about salvation or heaven and hell and all of that. But we also think theologically about how we see one another. And for the sake of time, I'm going to painfully oversimplify their debate. But it was from the creation story in Genesis, and it was about the nature of original sin. Original sin is the idea that Adam's guilt and corruption in the Garden of Eden has been transmitted to all of humankind. And here are our heavyweights. In this corner, Augustine. In the other corner, in the red trunks, Pelagius. Augustine believed that original sin was true, that we are primarily sinful. He believed that because of the fall, we are all born with kind of a default system towards selfishness, and that the life of faith is an ongoing battle around our innate selfishness. We are basically evil, hopefully redeemed, and we are fighting to be good. Now, if Augustine were quoting to you from Scripture, he might use this passage from Romans. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all, because all have sinned. See? Original sin passed along. All right. Truthfully, and I will show this in a minute, both of these guys had a lot of biblical support. But Augustine's legacy also brings us a lot of support in the hymnal too. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. His sparring partner in the debate was Pelagius. Pelagius argued that Adam sinned for himself and nobody else. Corruption cannot be transferred. He would say that Adam set a bad example, but it's not like he passed along the gene or anything. Pelagius would argue that we are all born in the image of God, that the divine lives within us, and that the inner struggle is about saying yes to the goodness, that image of God that is within us, rather than purging the evil that's within us. So, original grace, not original sin. And he might have quoted from John's gospel. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. The winner in this debate... Augustine. Augustine won the debate, and his influence is everywhere. I already quoted from one of the hymns, but if you start looking around the hymnal, you're going to notice that his victory in this debate is all over the place.
I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. Then the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Or, alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die. Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? So we have all been more influenced by Augustine than Pelagius. But we don't all operate out of that theology, do we? So this is what I want us to kind of wrestle with a little bit, play with this morning. Are people basically evil, needing to be redeemed? Or are people basically good, needing to find that image of God that abides within them and grow toward it? As I've noted, the Bible supports both ideas. If not, it wouldn't have been much of a debate, right? It looked a little bit like uh, you know, the dream team versus Lithuania or something. Well, today is our final day in the life of Jacob. This great Hebrew hero whose early life was full of deceit. And I want us to reflect a little bit on Jacob's life theologically. Is Jacob basically a good person made in the image of God who made some poor choices, chose selfishness more often than he should have? Or is he basically a sinner who needed to be saved by God? Well, first let's get, let's get caught up on the story. You remember that last week Jacob and Esau met after years of estrangement and hostility. The encounter ends in reconciliation. And between that story and today's story, there is only one episode, and it is an episode of horrible violence toward one of Jacob's daughters and the revenge of her brothers. And then we get to today's story. And in this story, God tells Jacob to return to Bethel and to set up house there. You remember that this is the part, the land in Canaan, where Jacob had run to when he was fleeing Esau, and he laid his head on a stone in that place. And that night he had a dream, a vision, and in that dream there was a ladder going from heaven to earth and earth to heaven. He saw angels coming up and down that ladder, and in that dream God spoke to him in that place. Before, that place was known as Luce, but after the encounter with God, Jacob consecrated the place and changed the name to Bethel, Bethel, house of God. So, on God's instruction, Jacob packs up the household, makes his new home in Bethel, and he instructs a ritual of purification, cleansing himself and his family from the foreign gods they'd been dabbling with. And he moves everybody and he makes an altar to God, the one who had found him and delivered him in his day of distress. 
And after the move, boxes unpacked, God appears to Jacob again and says, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall you be called trickster, but Israel shall be your name. And God restated the promise he had given Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall spring from you. So God has made a clear new path of leadership for Jacob. No longer the trickster, God has declared that Jacob will be the leader of God's people. He will lead them to flourish as a nation of leaders. And as Mark Twain is credited for saying, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you discover why you were born. So, was the trickster, Jacob, a bad person who came to do good or a good person who chose wrongly at times. Well, even though the church later declared uh, Pelagius a heretic, I confess that I have always had more affinity for Pelagius. I prefer to see each person as carrying the marks of God's divine image. I try to start my relationships with individuals and congregations by trying to see in each person that divine peace, that image of God that is within them that is alive from creation. God said, humankind has been made in my image. And I hope then in relationship, we can awaken that. I prefer that image more than I prefer to see you all as wretches and worms. Although, some, some people I have met have helped make me think Augustine was, you know, right on the money on that one. There are truly evil people in the world. But the crowd I preach to Sunday after Sunday, I tend to think, I tend to think of us as a group of good people, but who are in a serious fight to not violate our sincere faith and our sincerely held moral standards. But either way, the Jekyll and Hyde story is alive in all of us, isn't it? Evil and good are doing battle within all of us all the time. Like the trickster who becomes God's chosen leader of the Hebrew people, we all have the capacity for both. You and I are in a daily struggle with which impulses will win. Will we continue to live as trickster or, or say yes to God's call to change our name, give us a new future 
a new purpose, a new promise. Good people do bad things. We will always struggle with our less admirable impulses. Those things will never change. But will we live in the direction of true north? Will we chase God's calling to give our lives purpose? Or will we stay on the run, cheating here, swindling there, compromising until we can no longer hear God's voice over the noise of our own self-centeredness? There is an irony in the struggle. As journalist David Denby has written, you must be tempted or you cannot be good. We can't say yes to God's noble calling unless we are in the struggle. Well, I don't want to re-up the argument of Pelagius and Augustine. As I said, there is biblical support for both. Are we basically good, basically evil? You make up your mind on that. I do want us all to confront the struggle that is ours either way. We will all continue to wrestle with our less admirable impulses, however we answer the debate about original sin. And we lie to ourselves if we just think we are basically good and there is no war going on to take us down. God is not grading on the curve. There is an evil impulse that needs our attention. I ran across a story of a Native American tribal leader who was describing his own battle with the two natures within him. And he said, there are two dogs inside of me. One of the dogs is mean and evil. The other dog is good. The mean dog fights the good dog all the time. And somebody asked him once, which dog usually wins? He said, the one I feed most. This is the last of the Jacob series, so I do want to end with an epilogue. I want to tell the story of Jacob's final scene. And I didn't include this passage as a separate sermon in the series because I preached on it recently and I have used this passage at gravesides recently. Some of you have run across me talking about this passage in other contexts, so I didn't do a whole sermon on it, but I still think it bears mentioning before we close out this story. As you know, Jacob is the only biblical figure we know from birth to old age. And later in the Genesis story, 
there is this scene of Jacob at his deathbed. His, his son uh, Joseph has been called in. His strength is waning. His days are getting short. And when his son makes it to his deathbed, Jacob summons the strength to sit up a little bit and speak. And with his son at his bed, he mentions two things and only two things. Jacob tells about the time that God spoke to him at Luce. And he mentions Rachel, the great love of his life. And at the end of all of our stories will be the memory of our holy moments when God has shown up and the sweet memory of the people that we have loved the most. It might be the Bible's most universal story of all. But the quality of that day of remembering will be determined by which dog we feed between now and then. God changed the trickster's name to Israel. Jacob found the noble purpose in his life. He turned things around. He learned how to feed the good dog. Everything turned around and he embraced this new life fulfilling the hopes of the God image within. He started life swindling his brother, cheating his dad. He ended life with his son at his bedside recounting stories of love and God's grace. The two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you discover why you were born. So choose today the grace-filled whisper of God's voice to live into God's call on your life. Because we don't get a do-over. It's time to follow where God is leading your life into purpose, and it is time to leave the trickster behind. Amen. If you hear the call of God in some way, in some way that you want to respond publicly, if it's time today to join this church, a bunch of other folks who are trying to figure out how to answer God's noble calling and leave the trickster behind, then we would delight if this is the day you came forward to join your life with ours. Let's stand and sing together. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, Come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.